What a blessing to celebrate Christmas as the body of Christ together. There's really nothing quite like it, right? Being with a room full of people with one thing in mind, to glorify Jesus Christ. Amen? That's why we're here. If you need a Bible, would you go ahead and raise your hand? The ushers are glad to get one to you. And when you get that Bible, you can turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. Today, on this Christmas Eve, uh, we take a look at a message that I have titled, Responding to the Promise of the Messiah. And this being all about our response. Being, we, we're going to look at several different responses, and, and we're going to see different, five different Ps in our responses tonight in various scriptures through chapter 1 and chapter 2 here in Luke's Gospel And our our starting point, of course, here, we will begin to read in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. It says this, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and having come, In the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month of her who is called barren, for with God nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So our starting point here, which is not one of the five Ps, but it is a P in itself, is the promise. The first section here that we read in these verses is the promise of the Messiah. Now, we have heard of the promises of the Messiah before, right? As we study the scriptures, you look through the Old Testament, you see promises of the Messiah. You see prophecy of the Messiah throughout the Old Testament as early as Genesis chapter 3. And then many other times throughout the Old Testament, we see the same Word of promise, the Messiah, he's coming. And now, quite physically and literally, the angel Gabriel shows up and presents this promise of the Messiah to Mary. And with the promise, with this word from the Lord, that's what it is, it is an angel sent by God, it says. This is not just some angel going rogue here. This is an angel sent by God. 
And the angel sent by God brings the promise. And with this promise comes joy, favor, blessing, the presence of God. He says here, the angel says, rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. His presence is with her. And blessed are you among women. So there's joy, there's blessing, there's God's presence, there is favor for Mary. And that's what comes with the promise. Imagine, now the the angel has, has not even gotten into what the promise of the Messiah actually is. So far he's just saying rejoice. There's great joy because God is with you, because you have favor, and because you are blessed among all women. You're the one chosen. Now, as you might imagine, fear is gonna be relevant in this moment. As you might imagine, she is troubled by this interaction with an angel that has come into her house. She's a teenage girl living in Nazareth. We've talked about it before in churches. This is a tiny little town in the Galilee region. Very insignificant, nobody cares about. Everybody actually thinks very lowly of Nazareth. And she's a teenage girl living in Nazareth. And an angel barges into her room, into her house, and says, rejoice, highly favored one. God is with you. Blessed are you among women. Dude, get out. (laughs) And so, of course, there's trouble here. Fear, doubt, trouble. They will often hinder our perspective of the promise of God. But the angel addresses it immediately. The first thing he addresses, the trouble. This news troubled Mary because this was an interesting type of greeting. All of these greetings of being highly favored and blessed, it was puzzling to her as well. Like, why am I highly favored? Why are you calling me blessed among women? Why are you telling me to rejoice? Why are you telling me that God is with me? So she's certainly troubled, and in the midst of that, the angel Gabriel addresses the fear and the trouble, bringing clarity and being very direct at the same time and saying, do not be afraid. Naturally, there's fear. Naturally, there's trouble. But we need to not let it cloud our perspective of the promises of God. And so he addresses this fear. He says, do not be afraid. For now he clarifies that favor is found with God. It's, it's by God that you are found to be the favored one. And here's how it's gonna happen. He says, and you will conceive in your womb. Now this is, I love this. He says to Mary, you will, and the only thing he says you will do is conceive in your womb. That's a big thing right there, okay? You will conceive in your womb. She's already scratching her head at this one. But then he says, he will. And there's a whole long list of who he will be. A baby. He will be. The one born to her, the promised Messiah, 
He will be. And what a difference when there's a promise from God, there's not a long list of like, here's what you need to do. No, you will And for her, it's simply, you will conceive in your womb. You will partake in the promise. You will partake in the miracle. And he will be the one that's going to change the world. He will be great, son of the highest, given a throne. He will reign, and his kingdom will have no end. That's quite a bit to say about a baby that's not yet been born. That's who he is. That's what he will do. Mary Mary simply is just gonna walk in the obedience of the promise and the hope of the promise. But she would have as well known what this is meaning at this point. Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14 says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now the dots are starting to connect of this prophecy from Isaiah. So of course, Mary questions. In this question, she's not doubting what will happen, but wondering how it will happen. Because why? She's a virgin. She says, how could this be? Verse 34, how can this be since I do not know a man? She's a virgin. And it's verified here, right? Luke is the most detailed of all of the gospel writers. And likely, he got this direct account from Mary herself, telling him the story as he's writing it down. He was a great researcher. He went and he found all the answers. And so if he writes this, I think we could take that to be valid. Then the angel has an answer for her. Again, she's not doubting in this that it will happen, but how it will happen. The angel answers, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. This is going to be a work of the Holy Spirit. The power of the highest will overshadow you. Now, he already said, God is with you. Now he's bringing clarity to what that means. The, the overshadowing here that we're talking about is the same terminology used to represent the Shekinah glory of God. We're talking about the presence of God here. So the angel in his introduction, he says, rejoice, God is with you. Now she's scratching her head wondering how this is all gonna happen. He's saying, God being with you is going to be very specifically his presence his glory, it will overshadow you. Like on Mount Sinai or the Mount of Transfiguration when there was the cloud, the glory of the Lord. And it says then again that he will be, because of this, he will be the son of God. For nothing is impossible, and we see that nothing is impossible, and the evidence is given through Elizabeth. Evidence of God's power is given to Mary, a testimony of his power through Elizabeth, her relative, her cousin. This barren woman in her old age is now pregnant. And at the same time now, this young woman, a virgin, is now pregnant. By the perfect plan and power of God alone, 
fulfilling his perfect work. And Mary then, in her, the beginning of her response, is saying, behold, your maidservant. She is making herself available. Here I am, use me, I believe it. This is what she's expressing here. Let it be, is saying, do it. Make it happen. I'm your servant, do your will. And in that perspective, it's not even just here and now, but it is in time to come. And we know that very quickly she's gonna learn the fate of her son. But she says, let it be. Available. So now we begin to look at the, the responses to the promise of the Messiah. And not just the promise, but the coming of the Messiah, right? We continue on there, verse 39. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is the... But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leapt in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. Response number one, pleasure the response of the baby, John the Baptist in the womb. John the Baptist was kind of a crazy guy even before he was born. He's dancing in the womb at the presence of Jesus, the Messiah. Responding to the promise is experiencing the pleasure of God. The baby leapt in the womb at the presence of the Messiah. His presence brings us pleasure still today. Not just then, right? It's not just Emmanuel, he came, and that's the end. Emmanuel, he is God with us. He's still with us. And then out of this, the response from Elizabeth, out of experiencing this, there's this this great pleasure, this great joy, then she gives this great blessing. To Mary, blessed is she who believes. And she quotes the same words that the angel quoted. Blessed are you among women. Where did she hear that before? Perhaps it was inspired. Because she was experiencing the pleasure of God at the presence of the Messiah. We continue on then from there, verse 46 And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in in God my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm, 
He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her house. Response number two, responding to the Messiah, is praise. Mary responds now both to the word of the Lord, the promise that was given to her, and to the blessing of Elizabeth. Mary responds in praise. And this praise is from the depths. My soul magnifies the Lord. This isn't just even about my mind. This is not just something that I'm, I'm purposing to do. This is happening within me because I literally, she's carrying the Messiah and the obedience that she's walking in and this honor to God that she's walking in and this praise that's coming out of her is literally in her soul, from the depths of her soul. She is glorifying the Lord. And she says, magnify, my soul magnifies the Lord. And this is what it looks like. Her glory to God, her praise to the Lord is rejoicing in salvation. Receiving the blessing and recognizing God's greatness, his power, his might, his holiness. And then also recognizing that Jesus is a gift of mercy. As she glorifies, my soul magnifies the Lord, and she brings up mercy into this, and his mercy is on those who fear him, verse 50, from generation to generation. Jesus, the Messiah, who she is carrying in her womb, she recognizes to be an act of mercy. Not just here and now, but for generation after generation after generation. And then, also remembering. So in this, she gives this praise and it's rejoicing in salvation, receiving the blessing, recognizing God's greatness and might and holiness, recognizing that Jesus is a gift of mercy and remembering God's covenant. Even in this verse, of verse 55, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. Remembering the covenant that God made with Abraham. We just got to study this on Wednesday night two weeks ago. Genesis chapter 15, we're not going to go there right now. It's a little bit bloody. You know, the blood covenant, we get into this picture of what's taking place and the bodies that were broken and the blood that was shed to make a covenant between two parties. But Christ, Christ is the fulfillment. He's the fulfillment of the blood covenant, his body that was broken, his blood that was shed, and there is no covenant needed on our part as there was no covenant needed on the part of Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. The covenant that was made was God. God made the covenant. Abraham was sleeping. Because God knows the wickedness of man. 
the inability within man to fulfill a covenant. But he fulfills the covenant. And now Mary's reminded, in her praise, she is reminded of the covenant with Abraham. And that Jesus is the act of mercy to fulfill that covenant. We continue on then, and we're gonna skip ahead to chapter two now. Chapter two, verse one. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria, so all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Number three, responding to the Messiah. Preparation. The word of the Lord came. And at the same time, right, there are people that need to make preparations for the baby to come. Am I right? Anybody who's had a baby, there is a lot of preparation that goes into having the baby. And now we get a little overboard perhaps these days with like the birth plan and it's like a whole list. This is what's going to happen, doc. And doc's like, good luck with that. We'll see. But there's preparations that are made. You prepare the house and you choose a name and you, know, you paint the walls and you build the crib and you get the bedding and you have the baby shower. And I, it probably didn't look like that back in this day. But we understand the idea of preparations for having a baby. Now that's all relevant here. Mary and Joseph are no doubt preparing for the birth of their firstborn child who is the Messiah, Savior of the world. There's some preparation going into that. Maybe wondering, how are we gonna do this? How are we gonna raise the Messiah? We're kids, right? But yet they're walking in obedience. This preparation is not just what they were preparing for, but the preparation of the whole world, that God was moving so perfectly according to his plan. The whole world was being prepared. The time was right It says, in those days, it was a time of change from Quirinius over to Caesar Augustus. And this, under Augustus, he brought political change. He brought uh, a political power and and strong administration and money. And the, the Roman government and the Roman economy was booming. It was boosted. Everything was going great. And that meant the Jews were more oppressed. So the time was right. Everything was being prepared. And the decree went out to fulfill the prophecy that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. And here, again, you have Caesar Augustus who is trying to do things according to his power, not realizing he is perfectly falling in line with the perfect plan of God. And this decree going out was to fulfill prophecy. Verse six and seven, we see then that the days were completed. 
And it's interesting here that God used a government mandate to fulfill the prophecy of the Messiah being born in Bethlehem. I'll just leave it right there. You guys do what you want with it. But the days were be completed, were completed, and it was while they were in Bethlehem. It may, it may have been days after they were in Bethlehem. We get this picture in our mind that they're like, oh no, we gotta go to the census. We gotta go to Bethlehem. Here we go. Pile on the donkey. And of course, it's, you know, they're riding a donkey through the wilderness and, and she's literally about to give birth on a donkey and hurry up, get to the inn and they knock on all the doors. That's not here. That's not here in the scriptures. But that's the picture we make up in our minds. That she's ready to, to, to bust and have this baby while traveling to Bethlehem. But it just says that while they were there, they could have been there a few days, they could have been there a week. While they were there, it happened. That's what we know. And it happened according to God's plan at the perfect time in the way that things were going in the world. It's, it's actually very likely that Joseph got Mary out of Nazareth quickly after she returned from visiting Elizabeth to spare her, perhaps, from the ridicule of other people and things. So let's get out of Nazareth. And they made their way to Bethlehem. But in this day, so it was, while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son. Mary did this. Now, we don't have any record of a midwife being there, uh, a birth coach, uh, doctor. This is teenage Mary and Joseph in a stable. This is an animal's house. This is their resting place. This, we, and, and the picture of a, of a stable in Bethlehem. We, we visited a stable in Bethlehem on our trip that we've gone to Israel. And it's more like a cave than it is like we got those beautiful nativity scenes. Wow, look at that. Nice little barn looking thing and the, the hay is laid out nicely. It's a cave underground. It's cold, it's wet, it's nasty. And there's a lot of animal deposits all over the place. But Mary brought forth her firstborn son and then wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. Now Bethlehem was known for producing what's called the temple flock. The temple flock would be the ones producing the lambs for the Passover sacrifice. And what was common practice was that after a lamb was born in Bethlehem, they would wrap it in swaddling cloths and they would lay it in a manger to be inspected, to be presented, to be found pure, spotless, and prepared for the sacrifice. God knew exactly what he was doing. This didn't happen by chance. This wasn't just, oh no, there's no room. They knocked on all the doors. There's no record of an innkeeper here anywhere either that turned him away. That's not the picture. The picture is everything happened according to God's perfect plan. And God willed that his son would be born 
in that cave. In that, and, and, and wrapped as a sacrificial lamb and prepared and presented in the manger as a sacrificial lamb would be. Jesus was for the first time in his birth presented as the sacrificial lamb and laid in a, man, in a manger to be found pure and spotless. But then it says right in verse seven that there was no room. They laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And this, the inn, there's no mention of an innkeeper like I said, like we would imagine, like the songs that we sing or the stories that we read or, or see on videos and things like that. Uh, the inn is more likely it is a, a relative's dwelling place and, and people when they would go and visit they would stay with relatives and likely there was no room because this place was packed full of everybody coming for the census and so there was a place for them to be and it was the manger according to God's perfect plan. The reality though is regardless of, of what the scenario was, there was no room for Jesus except to be presented as a sacrificial lamb. Jesus was to, supposed to be presented in a manger. In fact, he would live out his entire ministry that way with no place to lay his head until he again was presented as the pure and spotless sacrificial lamb on the cross, bringing us from his birth, from the manger to the cross. It was all part of the plan for redemption. Because God loves you that much. He planned it out perfectly. He cares for your redemption that much. Verse eight, we continue. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, this is in the same country. This is Bethlehem. There are lots of sheep in Bethlehem. There are lots of shepherds in Bethlehem. But there were shepherds that were out in the field keeping watch over their flock. And, and I, I believe that God chose to speak to shepherds and to present the sacrificial lamb to shepherds first because they would get the picture first. And they would be so inspired by this that they couldn't contain it and keep it to themselves. They had something to tell the world about. But they get the picture. And so the, the angel appears to them and they're doing, their, they're doing their job, minding their own business and behold, an angel, verse nine, of the Lord stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Point number four, responding 
to the promise of the Messiah? Praise again. We need to do it again. If we have, right, Mary, we're like, we already said praise. We need to say praise again because that wasn't quite enough because it's never quite enough. So much so that the angels from heaven come down and bring the praise of heaven to earth to show the shepherds. This is what's needed, guys. This is what we need to do. But glory, the glory of the Lord came. They brought it with them. The glory of the Lord shone around them. Imagine the scene that these shepherds have experienced, minding their business, keeping watch over their flock. Shepherd, being a shepherd is a dirty, nasty job. And there's not much bright lights involved. And now here, the angel of the Lord and the glory of the Lord shows up while they're minding their business, doing their job. And he points out, he, he shows them the whole picture. This will be a sign. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. You imagine what a shepherd might think. But that's what they do with the lambs. Yeah, because the lamb of God. And then we know, of course, John says it, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. As Jesus is presented in the manger, it's beholding the lamb who takes away the sin. The angel addresses, of course, their fear right away. Do not be afraid. I bring you glad tidings. I bring great joy. There's great news. There's great joy when we come back to praise and they bring the praise with them to be a demonstration of the glory of the Lord and glorifying the Lord. It's necessary. Verse 15. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Number five, a proclamation. We need to respond to the good news, to the Messiah, to the promise of the Messiah with this great proclamation. Now the proclamation was made to them. Out of this great praise came a great proclamation and now they go and they witness it for themselves and let that be known, guys, a great proclamation that's needed when we respond to the Messiah, to the promise of God, it needs to be founded on truth. They went and they saw Jesus lying in a manger. The evidence, they are eyewitnesses of what they have been told by the angels. And so now they go, and they, they're, they're, this proclamation, it starts with obedience they do it. They go. 
They make haste to go to, to Bethlehem. And in that, why would they go? Because there's great hope. Now, to, to have great hope means that they were probably pretty hopeless. But they saw this picture of what God had presented. The glory of the Lord had presented to them. And so they walk in obedience. They have great hope. And this is now founded on truth. They find it to be true. The angels were right. There is the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger, presented as the sacrificial lamb. And they took these things, what they had just witnessed, and they responded with great proclamation. The good news. Go tell it on the mountain. It's one of my favorite Christmas songs. Because that's the response of the birth of Jesus and the eyewitnesses to the babe, the sacrificial lamb lying in a manger. The response is tell the world. It's true. They made it known to all people around. I mean, they went to everybody they could find. Like, guys, this is amazing. When we see the promise of God fulfilled, how do we respond? When we see God show up and we are witnesses to the work of God in our own lives, do we testify of it? Do we make the great proclamation and tell the good news? And the response then of everybody around is that they all marveled at these things because it was pretty marvelous. And then Mary pondered, perhaps knowing the prophecy of what the Messiah would do, that he is presented as the sacrificial lamb. But then this they close with, and it's not in, it's not in one of, as one of my P's, but we could say praise again. Because the, the shepherds, follow the example of the angels. And they, they, they do exactly what they did, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen. They had witnessed a miracle take place. They had witnessed the presentation of the sacrificial lamb, the Messiah. So these five P's of responding to the promise of the Messiah through these two chapters in Luke, and there's probably, there's actually more that I came up with, but I had to narrow it down because I don't want to keep you here all night. Responding to the Messiah. Pleasure. The pleasure of God that comes from the presence of the Messiah. Praise, the praise of Mary in response to the word of the Lord and the blessing of her relative. Preparation, according to God's perfect plan, all things were prepared. Praise again, bringing the joy of heaven with the good news of Jesus. And proclamation, Tell the world all 
the things that you have heard and seen. All the things of the good news of Jesus Christ, of what he's done. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We love you. And we thank you that you've given us your son. And tonight we confess that we need you. And truly we're amazed that you sent your son, you gave your son to be this pure, perfect, spotless, sacrificial lamb presented that way, planned for that way, prepared that way for us, for our salvation, for our redemption. And we say now we need you. Let us recognize our desperation. Tonight, I want to give you an opportunity. If you have never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you don't have a personal relationship with him, and and maybe you came to church because it's Christmas Eve, and that's what you're supposed to do. According to certain religious standards, that's what you're supposed to do, right? But God wants you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants fellowship with you. And he gave his son. He planned for it. And he presented his son as the sacrifice for our sins. We are all sinners. And we are all in that same desperate need of a savior. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, would you give your heart to him? Would you invite him into your life today? Let it be today. What a gift that would be to give your life to Jesus Christ because he gave his life for you. And so if you would today like to receive Jesus as your savior, would you put up your hand? You might be afraid, you might be shy and worried, oh, I don't want to put, it's worth it. If he's working in your heart, he's calling you. Give your life to him. And like the shepherds, I could say I'm amazed by what God has done. And I can't keep that to myself. I want to tell you about it. So here I am saying, Jesus loves you. He died on the cross for you. He rose from the dead, and he wants a personal relationship with you. So would you give your life to him? Would you put up your hand and say, I want a relationship with Jesus. God bless you. Anybody else? Responding to the call of a relationship with Jesus Christ.
right now to give your life to Jesus. Anybody else? If you would, you raise your hand, you can pray these simple words. And it's not the words, it's the work that Christ has done for you and that he's done in your heart. But you can say, dear Jesus, I confess that I'm a sinner. And I need a savior. I believe in you. I believe that you died on the cross, that you rose from the dead. I believe you are the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Would you come into my life and be my Lord? It's in Jesus' name.